again, church, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. If you need a Bible, Doug is up, and he has some Bibles in his hands, so you can follow along with us. Revelation nine thirteen through 21. I got to tell you, after I, I read this and studied this and had all my notes done about what's going to happen and, and this is the future, last night I just got home and, and after it was all done, just laid in bed and listened to like John chapter 14 and talked about the Lord's return and the Lord's love for us and, and how He's taking care of us. It's like, oh Lord. So I just get a heads up what we're in store for this morning. Starting verse 13, we read, Then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had... Breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Tell my message is an acronym this morning for woe. Watch out earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity that we can gather together, knowing, Lord, a few things, that your word is true, and these things that we're reading about and we're looking at, we know are going to happen because you've said so in your word. And Lord, therefore, knowing that these things are true, Lord, we pray, Lord, for just understanding of how these things go out, but application in our lives, Lord, that would change us as we study these things and draw us closer in our relationship with you, that there not be anything to hinder the work that you want to do in our lives today. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that is yet to know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, would you especially speak to their heart and they would see their need for you and they would turn from their sin and turn to you this morning. Bless our time, we pray. Together we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you, do you ever read the end of the book, the last chapter, the last few pages, to find out what's going to happen before you get there? Some people uh, who don't say, well, if you do all your cheating. Others who do say, well, the reason I do that is because I don't want to worry about what's going to happen. I know how it ends. You know, the same thing is true with technology today. You know, we have the movies you can fast forward to see how it ends. I did this the other night. I was watching a 
been watching the, the Mandalorian Star Wars show and, and, uh, and, and I, I went to get on my tablet and, and I started watching and I wanted to fast forward all the introduction and, and apparently I skipped to the very end, but I didn't know it and I'm watching the whole thing and that was the end of the episode. <laughs> so I'm going, I know how it ends. <laughs> I guess I don't need to watch it. I still watch it, but I knew how it ended, you know, and, and, uh, well here we are. In the middle of Revelation chapter 9, and I'm going to spoil the ending for you. I'm going to fast forward to the end of the book. Revelation 22.20 says this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I just spoiled the ending for you. But what a great spoil, is it not? Because in these last two verses of the book of Revelation... Jesus wins. Jesus is coming back. That's exciting for us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you haven't, it should be very disconcerting to you because of what's about to happen. This story doesn't end so well for those that don't know the Lord. And my hope is as we continue to read through this book, that it will wake us up to the fact that Jesus is returning very soon. And if you haven't already, you need to get your life right with Christ. Because Jesus spoke of the horrific events leading up to these last days in Luke 21, where there would be nations rising against nation and kingdoms rising against kingdoms. And there's going to be earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there'll be fearful sights and great signs in the heavens. And then Jesus said this in Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. You know, it's that time of year where we're seeing the Christmas decorations start to come up. You know, as soon as Thanksgiving gets near or, you know, as soon as it warms up in November, people go, I'm going to get my decorations up. And, and in our neighborhood, we got the lights up and it's starting to happen. And, and, uh, I, and I think about that and I love what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. When you see the Christmas decorations going up, it's exciting because you know Thanksgiving is just around the corner. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, I have turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie and no crust. I don't like crust, but just the pumpkin pie and the whipped cream and the green bean. How many people had to do the green bean casserole? They like the green bean casserole. You guys do green bean casserole? It's great. I like, you know, I like the stuffing. I like stovetop stuffing, you know. Every now and then my wife, she'll put weird stuff in it. You know, it's like, like raisins or nuts. Raisins, you guys probably like all that stuff. Anyway, I don't know where I got off on this. Just thinking about things. <laughs> we got a little bit of time before that. But here's the deal. As we see these last days coming into place and these events, the lawlessness and the sexual immorality and the corruption and the frauds, and the plagues, and the pestilence, and all these things leading into the great tribulation period, the closer we know that we are to the rapture of the church. Man, when we're finally home with the Lord, it's going to be so great. See, while these events are taking place on earth, we're going to be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's going to put all those things I just mentioned about Thanksgiving to shame. It's going to be great. Not because the food's going to be amazing, which I'm sure it's going to be because you won't put on weight. You just eat it and enjoy it. But secondly, because Jesus is going to be there. That's going to be so awesome. So again, I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Because what we have been reading, what we have been studying is going to continue to get pretty intense, actually pretty frightening. The last three and a half years of this great tribulation period is going to be absolutely horrendous. We've seen so far in chapter 6, one-fourth of the entire world's population is destroyed. We've seen cataclysmic events that have happened on earth with one-third of the trees burned up, one-third of all the grass burned up, one-third of all the sea creatures destroyed, one-third of all the ships destroyed, one-third of all the drinking water poisoned. That was just chapter 8. And if we come to chapter 9, where literally all hell breaks loose, resulting in a, in a horde of demons, as we saw, being led out of this bottomless pit to run rampant on the earth for five months, inflicting people with great pain like the sting of a scorpion, causing torment and suffering. In verse 6, we saw that men uh, would want to die, but they would not be able to die as a result of that. And then just when you think things could not get any worse, we read verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Woe. That's why as we look to verses 13 through 21, I would not only title this woe, watch out earth, but demons round two. Because it's going to get worse. Because what it really comes down to, as we've been studying this, it's a result of a cosmic struggle that's been going on between God and Satan with man as a prize. Listen, God loves us and He desires that we choose Him and receive the forgiveness of our sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for us upon the cross by taking the penalty that we deserved He took upon Himself. Now, in exchange of that, by giving our lives to Him, He gives us an eternity of peace and joy and everlasting life. On the other hand, Satan hates God and anything God loves, and so he is set out to kill, to rob, and to destroy. And the best tool, the best arsenal is his weaponry, is to get mankind to sin against God. And he uses sin very effectively as his tactic to slash and burn and bring destruction into our lives. There's a, a story, a parable I read of a certain man who wanted to sell his house in Haiti for $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it, but because he was poor, he couldn't afford the full price. Well, after much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price with just one stipulation. He would retain ownership over one small nail protruding from just over the front door. Well, after several years go by, the original owner wanted the house back, but knew that the owner was unwilling to sell. So the first owner went out, owner went out, found a carcass of a dead dog, and hung it from that single nail over the front door that he still owned. Soon the house became unlivable. The family was forced to sell the house to the owner of the nail. The moral of the parable is this. If we leave the devil with one small peg in our lives, he will return to hang his rotten garbage on it, make it an unfit for Christ's habitation. That's why over and over and over again, the Bible warns us about sin. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 11 through 14 in the New Living Translation. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Victory from sin and victory over the power of sin in our lives. But again, Satan uses temptation and he uses sin to destroy mankind, but he can only go so far. We know from the book of Job that Satan's reign of terror is limited by God. And though evil is present in this world right now, it's actually being kept in check by the gracious hand of God. You may not realize that. But God is graciously restraining evil and the ravages of the devil in spite of mankind's current rejection of God and His grace. But it's not going to last. There's going to come a time where God's going to remove that hand of protection. And here's what's, what's an amazing thing. is that God honors the choices that people make. If a person chooses to receive Him, He then fills them again with His love and grace and peace and promises of protection. But if a person rejects Him, He honors them, that rejection. If a person doesn't want to have anything to do with God, God says, fine, then I won't have anything to do with with you. And the time will come when a Christ-rejecting world will receive the full result of that refusal. When a person rejects God, they reject all he is and does, including his restraint of evil. And that's where we pick it up in verse 13. God no longer holds back the worst of the worst Kind of evil. If you're taking notes, again, three points this morning. Uh, Number one, the result of rejecting Christ. Number two, the ravages of Satan. And number three, the response of the people. First, number one, the result of rejecting Christ. Look at verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now understand, we in, in the Jewish temple, that what, what we could see, what we know of, it was an earthly representation of God's throne room in heaven. We know a golden altar was the golden altar of incense, which had these small protrusions of horns in each corner. According to Exodus 30, verse 2, you can see an artist's rendition of what it looked like. This was normally a place of mercy, and God would respond to the people's prayers. In the same way, we know that God here is is responding to the prayers of those in heaven under the altar, crying out for vengeance back in chapter 6, verse 10. If you recall that, uh, it says they they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Well, here, now in chapter 9, God says in verse 13, right now. Now it's time. To the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now understand, just because you read the word angel here doesn't mean, don't assume that they're all good guys. The word angel simply means messenger. Now we know that holy angels of God are never bound. So these obviously are fallen angels. They're demons. And we looked at last time how Lucifer was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels followed him, which they became, Lucifer became Satan and these other angels became demons today. The principalities and powers and rulers of the dark uh, 
wickedness places. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that. Well, these are particularly extra evil angels, evil demons that God has been holding back for a very long period of time. He says they've been bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, that's an interesting statement right then and of itself. In light of all we know about uh, the Euphrates River, we know that it flows from Armenia down through the present lands of Iraq and Iran into the Persian Gulf. In our own era, the Euphrates River was strategically important in 1991 during the Gulf War, which liberated Kuwait. It was there at the Euphrates River that the U.S. forces trapped the elite Republic, Republican Guard of Iraq. They were unable to escape, and the Iraqi forces were destroyed. We're going to see in chapter 16 of Revelation, this great Euphrates, Euphrates, Euphrates River drying up so that the kings from the east could march their armies towards Jerusalem without a problem. We also know in the ancient world it formed the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire, which should interest us because during the Great Tribulation, under the rule of the Antichrist, the ancient Roman Empire is going to be revived. But did you know that this area has been the fountainhead for weirdness and wickedness since the beginning of man? Somewhere along the Euphrates River, near the Persian Gulf, is where the Garden of Eden once stood, according to Genesis 2.10 and 2.14. It was in this area along the Euphrates that Satan first deceived Eve disguised as a serpent. It was this area along the Euphrates that the first lie was told, the first sin was committed. It was this area along the Euphrates that the first murder took place, the first grave was dug. It was here where the flood began and spread over the earth. Here on the Euphrates was where the Tower of Babel was erected and Babylon began. Babylon situated there on the Euphrates River, about 50 miles south of modern Baghdad. Babylon was the fountainhead of idolatry and, and this region has spawned just many of the world's pagan religions and, and idolatries. Just this evil there. And here in the end, this great Euphrates River is going to be the focal point for the final surge of sin on the earth during the Great Tribulation period. We read here of the four particularly evil demons that are going to be released who are bound by the great river Euphrates. Notice one more thing, that they've been bound until a predetermined time. The call goes out, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And verse 15 says, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day, and month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. They've been there. There's been a time where they, the time would be up where they were at, and so they've been prepared for a specific year, month, day, and hour to be released. And just like those demons that came out of the abuse, that came out of the pit and tormented the people for five months, these demons, they're going to be released to kill one-third of mankind, we read, Within an hour. Now again, this does remind us that God is in complete control over these events. Nothing is happening outside of God's control. Every, uh, even the demons operate only under God's authority and timeline. Again, it speaks of God's control over the demonic world. And that's why, again, if you're not with us last week, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. And we looked at three reasons, if you recall. God is light, and in Him dwells no darkness at all. If the light of Jesus Christ is in you, then the darkness of a demon can't dwell in the same place. 
Number two, demons are afraid of God. And if you're afraid of something, you're going to want to stay uh, completely away from that thing that you're afraid of. But number three, the biggest reason a Christian cannot be demon-possessed is because the Lord loves you so much and He's not going to allow anything in your life to invade your life that you have no power over or that the power is, is there to destroy you. And this brings us to our second point, number two, the ravages of Satan and his demons. Again, look at the end of verse 15. These four demonic beings were released to kill a third of mankind. Add that to the one-fourth of the world's population already killed in chapter 6 through the seal judgments. It means that now almost one-half of the entire population of the world has been destroyed. Yesterday evening, as of about 4 o'clock, the world population counter that I looked at said we have 7.8 billion people on this earth. That means at this point in the future human history that 3.8 billion people would have been destroyed. This is huge. How does this killing take place? Look at verse 16 again. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, John says. Four demonic beings releasing an army of 200 million. That's one big army. If you were to line them up a mile wide, that would be 87 miles long is what you'd have. So it's like lining them up on the 44 here and, and the 65 from Springfield all the way to Fort Leonard Wood and having it be a mile wide, like from Battlefield to Seminole right here. This is huge, 87 miles long. Now I have looked at commentary after commentary and they all seem to say the same thing. Either this is a, a demonic force like the horde of demons coming out of the Abusa that we saw last week or this is a literal military army being described here using terms of John's day to describe it. And it can sound like either one, a military machinery or an army of demons, or both, an army of demon-possessed men in a military machinery. To be quite honest, I don't think anybody really seems to know, and you know what, I don't care which it is, I just don't want to be here when they come out. I don't want to be here when all this happens. But look at their description in verses 17 through 19. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Military machinery, demonic army, either way sounds very demonic to me one way or the other. But let's picture it militarily. It talks about breastplates of different colors. Now this could certainly represent, you know, uh, armored chariots like tanks or missile launchers. Other vehicles of war could represent, you know, the different colors from the different uh you know, nations that, that it represents. It could be a conglomeration of, of armies coming together. Talks about the lion's mouth that are spouting fire, belching smoke, suggests maybe cannons, mortars, even nuclear missiles, killing with fire, radiation, poisonous gases, could be chemical weapons. Verse 19, for their powers in their mouth and in their tails. They have tails like snakes that do injury. 
that could be a description of modern day helicopters, gunships. You know, they got the, the, the rotor at, at the tail, which is also a machine gun or missile launches, you know, where they're located. Could be weaponry not even invented yet. Again, again, John is trying to describe things that he has never seen in his lifetime. But again, this could be demonic as well, as John could be describing a 200 million uh, strong army of demons. Because think about the logistics of moving 200 million man army. It took us six months to move 500,000 out, out of our military into Iraq. And then we know the description of the locust demons in verses 1 through 12 are pretty horrific. This could just be another type of demons with a description even first, worse than the first. Again, these demons are fallen angels. And we know God has created angels to be quite powerful. I think of the story in the Old Testament when God was defending his people, fighting for his people. The Assyrians under King uh, Sennacherib was encamped against the Israelites. God sent one angel, one angel that killed 186,000 of the Assyrian armies. So here we could have uh, four demonic angels plus an army of 200 million right behind them. That gives reason why they could destroy so much within one hour. Uh, just one third of the, the population wiped out again. That's why I lean towards this being a demonic army. But again, if you're going to put this according to today's population, two billion has already been killed in chapter 6. It would be another two billion more killed within one hour. Either way you look at it, it's a total amount of devastation and destruction on human lives. Now there are those that say, well, how could a God of love allow almost four billion people to die like this? Here's a better question. How could a God of love, a God of justice, allow two-thirds of these evil people to continue to exist to survive? Why doesn't he just wipe out the whole bunch? Listen, we need to remember that God has already airlifted all believers prior to this great tribulation ever starting, leaving nothing but non-believers behind. We know that after the rapture, there's going to be this enormous uh, uh, time of, of, of God pouring out His Spirit on the Jewish people again. But according to Revelation 7-9, it says there are a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Tribulation saints. The ones that came to Christ during the tribulation. A great multitude which no one can number. So basically that leaves not a whole lot of people left on this earth. So the ones that are left on this earth, man, they are really hardcore. They are bad to the bone. They are evil to the max. And yet God continues to sound the warning tenderly, hoping that a few more will heed the call to repent and follow his son Jesus. This just goes to show you how amazing God's love is for mankind. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I love Isaiah 42 verse 9 where God says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Listen, God is not telling us these things that are going to take place to freak us out. He's telling us these things to fire us up. To recognize that this world is not our home. To realize that we have just a short amount of time to make a difference in this life for Christ. And we need to be doing all that we can to share the hope of the gospel around us. In hopes that people will repent before it's too late. And this brings us to a final point. 
The response of the people left. I didn't say the people on the left, but you never know. I'm just saying. Now you would think, after verse 19, that earth survivors would be on their knees, broken and repentant, and pleading with God for mercy. But that's not what we see. Look at verse 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Whoa! Talk about pure evil. They didn't stop worshiping demons. In other words, these people are going to be so in love with the works of darkness and so bound in their love for sexual perversion and drugs and violence and all-out worship of Satan that they're going to refuse to turn, refuse to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus and Paul both tell us that during the tribulation it will be a time of widespread religious deception and, and, and Satan worship. And above all, that's what Satan's always wanted. And he's going to use the Antichrist and his career and the many false prophets to spread religious deception and promote the worship, worship of the demonic. We see it happening today in the, in the New Age spirituality. It's all set up for this. John says that they're not, they're not stopping. They're continuing to worship idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. And he says, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. People dying by the billions and they're not repenting. Now we gasp at that. But don't we see a precursor of all of this in our society today? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that one of the signs in which to look for that the, uh, for the Lord and His return is that we would be living as it was in the days of Noah. Well, we know in the days of Noah it was marked by an increase in violence, sexual immorality, perversion, Murder, sorceries, perfect description of the times in which we're living in today. Look, let me point out a few things here. John writes in verse 21, they did not repent of their murders. Update on on numbers again, 2019 data. There's actually in America 2,362 abortions a day, almost 100 per hour. That's 1 million murders a year in the U.S. alone. They're not going to repent of their murders. John also says they did not repent of their sorceries. Now, the New Testament mentions two different types of sorceries. The first word for sorceries is the Greek word pharmakion, from where we get our English word pharmacy from. And pharmacy simply means drugs. Today, millions of people are not repenting from their drug abuse. You know, most of us, when we when we're asked, well, what are some of the, some of the signs of Jesus' return in the last days? How close are we? And we'll point to things like like the, the nation of Israel coming back again as a nation, or the economy, or earthquakes in various places, or certainly pestilence, COVID, plagues that have come, uh, you know, to the forefront of the signs of our times. But we need to recognize that drug abuse has not let up, and it's going to get a whole lot worse. And it's going to be a major, major sign of times during the Great Tribulation. I mean, think about the mass quantities of legal prescription drugs that are out there today that people are using in a non-prescribed way. 
it's only going to get worse. I mean, think about the people going on drugs after the first part of chapter 9 when these locust-like creatures came out and they were bit by these, by these stingings, you know, like, and they're going to be miserable. They're not going to be able to die. They're going to be, give me the drugs, give me the drugs. Whatever drugs they can get their hands on. Illicit drugs, uh, marijuana, hashish, cocaine, crack cocaine, heroin, hallucinogens, inhalants, opioids. Why do I mention marijuana? Because it's like these other drugs. It produces an altered state of consciousness. And it leaves people open to hypnotic suggestions and therefore demonic suggestions. That is why John says they did not repent of their sorceries. That's the other use of this word sorcery. It's linked to witchcraft or what's called magia or magic. Magic is a practice uh, uh, the science or practice of evoking spirits or seducing the occult powers of nature to produce supernatural effects. And in many ancient religions, drugs are linked to witchcraft and spells and all sorts of satanic activity. This is going on today, right now, folks, as witches and wizards and wiccans call upon the same demonic, mystical powers of ancient times to do their bidding. But John says, it's going to get worse. They did not only repent of their sorceries, he says this, they did not repent of their sexual immorality. I can't tell you. You probably know how out of control sexual immorality is today. We all know it. You know, oftentimes we speak about but the sin of homosexuality, but when it comes to sexual immorality, homosexuality is just the tip of the iceberg. Let me give you some numbers. Currently, 52.7% of all high school students report that they have had sexual intercourse. Nationwide, 6.2% of all high school students have had sexual intercourse for the first time before the age of 13 years old. Sex parties are replacing spin the bottle and making out. But all of that is a result of sexual, sexual immorality in our society as a whole with adults. You know, adultery and adultery and pornography and sexual promiscuity. According to Christianity.com, nearly 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visits like last 6 minutes and 29 seconds. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 2.47% of families in the United States reported pornography in their home. Pornography goes on, increases the infidelity rate by 300%. 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in porn. 11 is the average age a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children we see it, will see it by the age of 14 years old. Pornography. It's one of the most searched uh, terms on the Internet. It's rampant in our world today and it fuels uh, lust and, and, and uh, adultery and rape and homosexuality. Again, one of the main causes for divorce in our society today. But again, it only gets worse. One more, John says, they did not repent from their thefts. Well, if you got drug abuse and sexual immorality, it all leads to thefts. Money's got to come from somewhere to afford these addictions. Here's my point. As we get closer to the Lord's return, we are going to see these things increase with greater fervor and strength because we're living in a world that has rejected Jesus Christ. 
And we're going to see his hearts grow harder and harder. And as society gets darker and darker, it's going to get worse. And even though there's more thefts and there's more murders and more people dying from drug overdoses and sexually transmitted diseases and plagues like COVID, there is still no repentance. And that's the trouble with sin. It blinds you to your own stubbornness. The antidote is right before our face, but, but we can be too proud to take it. See, even after all this judgment, the haughty men stiffen in their neck and they resist God's rule. Let's get back to the reason why. Notice what ties all this together. Again, verse 20, we read, They did not repent of their worship of demons. Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17 tells us, Behind every idol is a demon. The idol of drugs, the idol of sexual immorality is all linked to the worship of demons. You hear the phrase, Oh, that's just the demons he wrestles with. Well, there's more truth to that than what people realize. Because the thing that so many people fail to realize and so many so-called experts and counselors try to figure out and analyze, but they just can't figure it out. And the reason so many people get hooked on drugs or pornography or stealing is they don't realize the source behind all of this is demonic. It's demonic spirits whose sole desire is to get their hooks into people and to kill, to rob, and destroy. It's a worship of, of demons. When a person smokes crack, when a person abuses alcohol, when a person dives into pornography, understand there's a spiritual issue involved there. There's a spiritual being at work. Now, I'm not talking, oh, the devil made me do it. No. When a person exposes himself to these types of things, they're opening the door to demonic activity in their life. They're allowing Satan and his demons to get a foothold in their lives. And we're seeing that as a nation, this type of demonic influence. And it's only going to get worse if there's no repentance. Listen, today and always, the, the key to overcoming evil is to depart from it and do good, the Bible says. To resist the devil and he will flee from you. To draw near to God and he will draw near to you. To walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what about us here this morning? You're thinking, well, I don't do those things. I'm not involved with that stuff. I don't know anyone that does it either. Well, let's take this just a step further and we're going to close with this. Romans chapter 1, Paul outlines how the world rejected God and turned to idols, how they worshiped the uh, cre- uh, creation rather than the creator. For that reason, the Bible says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to, to their vile passion, to pursue their own lust and which was in their hearts. Listen to Romans 1, 28-32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice these things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. To catch that last little bit right there, those who approve of such things. Wait, you say, well, I don't approve of those things. I don't approve of that lifestyle. You know, another way of translating that is those who take pleasure in it. Let me suggest to you one thing. If we're approving of such things that, that, and taking pleasure in them, every time we watch maybe a movie or TV program where these things are portrayed, 
we read these things, we sit there and we're approving them. Each time we watch something that's inappropriate, you open the door for the enemy, to the, for the demonic, to, to get a foothold in our lives. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought you said a, a Christian couldn't be demon-possessed. Oh, you can't be. But you certainly can be oppressed. When we engage ourselves in these types of things, we're opening up to the door to Satan to, to get a foothold in our lives and in our families. And the last things I would want to be responsible for is opening the door for anyone in my family to allow Satan to get a foothold in their lives through my sin. See, as we read about these trumpets being blown, my prayer is that this would be a wake-up call, a call to war against the enemy, that we would engage in this spiritual battle, a call to war against the forces of evil attacking our families, attacking our lives individually. My prayer is that we would have a spiritual awakening, a call to holiness, that we would not be guilty of the same mistakes that we're reading about for, for which these people were unrepentant. We need to heed the call of purity. It's been said to be at war with one's sin is to be at peace with God. To be at peace with one's sin is to be at war with God. Maybe you're here this morning and Satan has bound you in some sin. Maybe that you've given him control of an aspect of your life. Listen, you need to repent. Which means not only a change of direction, but a change of mind. We need to see these things that God calls as sin, as sin, and we need to repent of them. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize that you have given a foothold to Satan. That you let his foot get in the door in a certain area of your home or your family or your life or your mind. Something that you've allowed to come in that you know is inappropriate. You can change that today if you repent. Again, as you read about these trumpets sounding, my prayers that these trumpets would call us to a, a awakening spiritually. That we would seek to live holy lives. Yes, we know the end of the story. Jesus is coming back and he's going to clean up this messy world. And yes, as Isaiah 26 tells us, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. I like Isaiah 26, 9. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. As we close, let me ask that all of us ask the Lord to examine our hearts in light of what we just read. How these people are not going to be turning to the Lord in repentance. We need to say, Lord, show me. Is there any area in my life that I need to repent from? I need to turn from. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. As we sang this morning, break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. Don't allow me to go on in this life, in this sin. Now is the time to turn to the Lord. And not allow the stronghold of Satan in your life. Finally, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's the first stop. Find forgiveness of your sin. Commit your life to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the open door of grace that You offer right now to all those that would come to You in repentance. And Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning. If there's been a foothold of sin that has taken place in our lives, Lord, be it a root of bitterness, anger, uh, sexual immorality, thefts, Lord, even. Maybe it's a, um, 
whatever it is, Lord, we don't want it in our lives. We know certainly you don't want it in our lives. So, Lord, we want to repent from it and make that commitment to holiness to you. We recognize we can't do that apart from your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would you fill your church here this morning with a fresh filling of your Spirit that we might walk with you knowing the days in which we're living in are evil or that we would rise above that, Lord, through your Spirit and walk in purity and walk in holiness. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives and the mercy you've shown us. Bless us this week as we go our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.